So, as we've just read, um, we're looking today at Paul preaching the gospel. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said this, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. What Christ stated then, what Paul is proclaiming here, and what we proclaim this day, is the gospel. Unfortunately, today we see people claim to preach the gospel. And it turns out it isn't when you study what they say. They may use biblical words, but it's not the message of what Paul preached, of what Jesus said there and what Jesus lived out. We know that people have forsaken God's word and have brought another gospel. Uh, as I was preparing for this, I went through some of this again, this, uh, the sermon again this morning, and funnily enough came across a comment from uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who was speaking about Ramadan, and he was comparing the Christian faith with Ramadan. He said, we share some similar things. And he prayed that God would be with them during this time as they celebrate and worship their God. And this is a man who claims to proclaim the gospel, but clearly he was preaching another gospel here. If he equates the two faiths as the same, that both can say. That's what ultimately he was claiming here. But the gospel we preach must be the one from Scripture. It must be straight from Scripture. Because this is what God has revealed to us. He has said, look, here is the gospel. He has blessed us. He's shown us mercy and his grace by giving us the word of God. And within that, we see the gospel. The gospel is throughout from Genesis to Revelation. And today in Acts, we see the gospel preached. We see the things that Paul has said. So what we're going to do today, we're only going to really focus on verses 24 to 41. But just for sake of clarity, we'll go through a bit of the background. We're on Paul's first missionary journey here. He's gone from he's gone from Cyprus to Pamphylia, then to Galatia. And that's where we see him today in Antioch in Pisidia. Not the one in Syria, but the one in Pisidia. So Paul and Barnabas have arrived at synagogue as they do usually. They've sat down, the law and the prophets have been read. And then Paul is asked to speak. And then what happens then, he goes through the Old Testament and points to Christ. Because his audience are the Jews, the Jewish people and those that fear God. And he goes through and he's saying, look, look what's occurred here. Look what's happened here in the Old Testament. It's all pointing towards Jesus. And then in verse 23, he says this. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a saviour. Jesus. He's talking about David here, an offspring of David, and he says, look, right here, the promise of a saviour has arrived. And then he moves on here to explain what the gospel is. He explains the gospel to these people. He's saying, look, this is what you must understand and have faith in, in order to be saved. These are the things you must believe. And he goes on to speak about John. If we look at verses 24 and 25. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled this, um, his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me, 
whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. So Paul here is really sliding in a segue. He's saying, look, here's the Old Testament pointing to Christ. Then John comes and he's preparing the way and he's proclaiming who is to come. And it's interesting, the, the section that Paul picks out of what John said. He says, look, this is what John said. He, John said he, he was not worthy to loosen the shoes. He was not worthy to remove Christ's shoes. So this is building a picture of who this saviour is. Because we know in those days, feet were covered in dust and dirt. There was no, the sewage was open. Everything was just, was filth everywhere and they'd walk for miles. And Paul's saying, look what John said. He's saying he's not even worthy to stoop down and take off dirty shoes of this promised saviour. So there's something more to this descendant of David. There's something more than just a man here. Paul is saying, look, we're going to make much of Christ. We're going to look at who this man is and I'm going to reveal to you how great this man is. Look, John recognised it. Let me explain to you. He's different. He's not what we understand, what they thought would be coming. He said, this man is the saviour. And he goes into, into speaking to them now and we look at what he says in verse 26. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. So Paul here starts to build up and he, there is, there is a nature to Paul that loves these people, he's wanting them to hear the gospel because he recognises that he was a sinner. He was the chief of sinners. He was the one that was persecuting Christians and killing them. And he understands fully the grace of God and he's desperate for these people to hear it. And he says to them, men and brethren, he's saying, look, there's a familiarity there because he was once a Jew, he's now saved. He goes on to write to the church in Galatians that he wants, there's now no, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, we're all one in Christ. He's wanting them to join in. He's saying, look, brethren, I used to be one of you. I know the things that you believe. I know the things that you understand. This is for us here. He's, look, look, let me tell you. There's a, a part of Paul here who's desperate for them to hear. He's willing to proclaim this to them. And he knows the dangers because he was once the one who was a danger to the Christians. So he knows what, is what could come, yet he's still desperate for them to know. He's shown his genuine love by being willing to preach this message to them. He wants them to know the truth. And then he starts to build on this now. He's starting to build more and more of what he is about to, to speak of Christ and the gospel. Verse 27. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because, <clears throat> because they knew him not, nor yet the voice of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. He's saying, look, you know the rulers, you know the, the priests in Jerusalem. You know that there the prophets, uh, the prophets and the law was read on every Sabbath. He's saying, look, they knew the word of God. They studied it week in, week out, day in, day out. They knew the things of God. They worshipped, they read, they prayed, they sacrificed. They knew that the, there was a saviour to come. They knew God had promised the saviour. Yet when he did arrive, even these learned men, he, even these men who had spent their entire lives reading the word of God, did not recognise the saviour. And in doing so, they even went further. 
they read the prophets and the prophets stated that the, these people would reject the Messiah. And they read these things and yet they still fulfilled them. Those in Jerusalem still fulfilled the prophecies that they read about that Jesus would be rejected, this saviour would be rejected and they carried on and they were the ones fulfilling this prophecy. Now to us here who we have the whole scriptures, we, we can look back and go, well, it's obvious, isn't it? How did they not know? But 1 Timothy 4 is a good reminder to us also. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So there's a prophecy in the Old Testament that people would reject Christ. There is a prophecy for us today that in latter times some shall depart from the faith. We have to make sure that we are not these people by trusting in Christ and understanding this gospel, not in our own strength, but in the grace of God. So we can't look in judgment because there is a similar prophecy here that some will depart. So we can't be arrogant in our thinking. And then Paul has clearly laid that foundation and said, look, even these learned men, they've rejected Christ and they've fulfilled what the scriptures have said. He now digs in to who Christ is. Verses 28 to 29. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulchre. Now what's happening here is they, Paul is saying, look, this Jesus, this saviour, this man who John was unworthy to even untie his shoes, this Jesus was perfect. There was, they, he was found innocent. He was not deserving of death. And what Paul is speaking of here is the sinless perfection of Christ. He's saying, look, he is sinless. And they know this and they can understand this, this view because if we just go to verse 17 um, earlier on, we read here what Paul said. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with a high arm brought he them out of it. So they know what occurred in Egypt. They knew, they know the, the Passover lamb. They knew that it had to be without, without spot or blemish. He's saying, look, that was just a picture of this man here. This man, Jesus Christ, is perfect. And with their knowledge and understanding of the scriptures, they will understand that nobody's perfect except God himself. We have to be very, very clear when we proclaim the gospel of who Christ is. Paul here is making it crystal clear. Because if we fail to proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ, we know that the devil will do his utmost to tell everybody who Jesus Christ is not. We see Christ proclaimed as a, a good man, a nice man, just a man. We see Christ pro- proclaimed as, as a teacher, one who we, we can listen to and, and take nice little thoughts from. Some people see Christ as almost like a sky fairy, somebody who they can just ask to and he will give them whatever they need. We must be clear on who Christ is, that he was sinless, that he was perfect. And that he committed no sin, whatever. And that, in our minds, draws us and leads us to understand that Jesus Christ is God. And when we understand that, we understand that Jesus is therefore 
an acceptable sacrifice. Because we know the wages of sin is death. We have all sinned and deserve death. We deserve the judgment of God. Because God is just. He cannot let sin slide. Therefore, a sacrifice would need to be made. And because Jesus was perfect, he was able to be that sacrifice. And it's here in these verses that Paul is laying this all out before them now. Jesus was sinless. He was found guiltless. Yet he was still put to death. He was treated as a criminal. He was tried, found found guilty of things he had not committed. He was seen as something, something as a corrupt man in the eyes of these legalistic men because they could not fathom who he truly was. He was perfect. He was sinless. And when we trust and believe and see and understand this, we understand that Christ is that sacrifice, that Christ is that saviour. And Paul is showing here the difference, isn't he? He's bringing out, look, Christ was this. He was perfect. He was good. The only thing he claimed was that he was God, which was true and correct. Yet they denied it. And they plotted against him and sought to have him killed. And when he was, when he was killed on the cross, when he was murdered, they rejoiced thinking they had won. But then we read in verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And Paul moves from explaining who Christ is to explaining Christ being crucified. He's explaining the crucifixion, isn't he? He's saying, look, man didn't want a saviour. These people here didn't want this saviour. They schemed, they gave false witness. They thought they had won. But God raised him from the dead. And after the crucifixion, after he was raised from the dead, Paul explains what goes on here. We see this in verse 31. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were his witnesses unto the people. Christ was killed. God raised him again. And there are witnesses to this. These witnesses are speaking. These witnesses were willing to give everything to proclaim the risen saviour. They were willing to give everything, including their lives. We've seen Stephen and James murdered for proclaiming Christ and him crucified and his resurrection. They were willing to give all because they understood the gravity of Jesus Christ. They understand they understood the truth of his death and his resurrection. And then Paul leaps into explaining this resurrection more and more and the consequences to this. We read verses 32 to 35. He says, And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. See, these just few verses here show that Christ 
was promised to be raised from the dead. This is the fulfilment of prophecy. And he does this using, quoting three verses. It's Psalm 2, 7, Isaiah 55, 3, and Psalm 16, 10. All these are linked to the resurrection. Verse 33 states that. In Psalm, in Psalm 2, it says, begotten you. Now, we've got to have a clear understanding here. Begotten here is not the same as begotten in John 3.16. That is referring to the deity of Jesus Christ. Begotten here is from Psalm 2, the word yalad, which means to bring forth in relation to the grave, to bring forth from the grave. So Paul here is saying, look, you know the prophecies, you know the Psalms, you know the law. This is a promise that the Saviour will be resurrected. That's this Jesus. This is the same Jesus. He then moves on to Isaiah 55. How is this about the resurrection? How is all this about the resurrection from the sure mercies of David? Well, let me read 2 Samuel 17. uh, Sorry, 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 13. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So the, these, these mercies of David, this is a promise that there would be a king from David's line. And here we see that that king would rule forever. Well, how could somebody rule forever if they saw corruption, if they had died? Paul saying, look, this is Jesus. He was resurrected. People have seen this. I'm proclaiming this. And it's fulfilling what was written. There is one who will reign forever. And that is the resurrected Jesus Christ. He was raised from the dead. No corruption. David is still in the grave. Death didn't reign. There was no decay. Death was defeated. The king was raised. And he's on his eternal throne now. And in verse 35, that confirms it. It's from Psalm 16.10. And again, this points to, de- to, to Jesus' resurrection. He was predi- predicted to suffer. People didn't recognise this. He was found guilty, even though he was innocent. They murdered him, but God raised him from the dead. And all Paul is showing them here said, you know the Old Testament. Here it is. He was expected, it was prophesied he would be rejected, it was prophesied he would be killed, it was prophesied that he would be raised from the dead. And here is that man, that man is Jesus Christ, God himself. And then for extra clarity, we go into verses 36 to 39 where Paul explains the entire purpose of the death and the resurrection of Christ. For David, <clears throat> after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on asleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. So Paul explains the corruption further. David, we cannot have faith or trust in David because he's dead. But death has not held Christ. God raised him. He's beaten death. And this, 
he then uses this to leap into the purpose of this, of why Christ is the saviour, because he's perfect, because he is the resurrection. He points to the law of Moses in verse 39. He says, look, the law of Moses, you you were, you were justified by all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. He's saying, look, in the law of Moses, you are condemned because you can't fulfill it. If you think you can fulfill it, the Ten Commandments damn you because you're your own God. You think you were perfect like God. The law points and shows us our sin. He's saying, look, under the law of Moses, you deserve wrath, you deserve death. We see this in Galatians 3.10, which Paul is a letter um, Paul writes to them later on. For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth, not in all things which are written in the book of the law, to do them. If you're not adhering to the law, if you're not keeping it perfectly, you are condemned, James 2.10. For who whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of law. You miss the law by one point, you're guilty of all. You are no longer innocent. There's no grey area. It's black and white. Keep the law perfect. Break it. You're under the judgment of God. And we know everyone who has ever lived has broken God's law. And this, he's saying, is why we are free in Jesus Christ. Because he fulfilled the law. No guilt was found in him. He kept the commandments. He honoured his father. He did everything that was asked of him. And because he did that, he can be our sacrifice. And because he is resurrected and lives and reigns, we live too because of our faith in him. And it's not a faith of our own doing, but it is a grace the grace of God that he has given us this faith. John 1.17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. Again, not of our doing, but Jesus Christ. And praise be to Christ for that. Because again, Paul has made it clear, he lived in obedience, we have not. He died for our sins as our substitute and was raised again to life. If we believe in him, we are free from condemnation. This means that we are free from keeping the law for salvation. But in our love and in our appreciation, when we understand the gospel, we love Christ for who he is, for what he has done. And therefore, we have a heart that wants to keep the law. We have a heart that wants to be obedient to Christ because we love him, we treasure him because he is our Lord and our saviour. Surely this is why we are gathered here today. This is why we sing. This is why we pray. This is why we read his word. This is why we study his word. It's not out of compulsion because we're trying to keep salvation. Because Christ has done that for us. We do these things. We gather. We pray. We build one another up in Christ because we love Jesus. And not in our own strength, but in the grace of what Christ has done in us. So Jesus has died for us. He has set us free from condemnation so that we can love him as he asks. Not in our own strength, but in his. This is grace upon grace upon grace. This is the gospel that we should be proclaiming. This is the gospel that surely the Archbishop of Canterbury should be proclaiming and saying, look, 
you you can do Ramadan. That's going to not make a blind bit of difference because that is a false God. You need Jesus Christ. This is why it is important for all of us to understand the depth of the gospel and what Christ has done on the cross and the fact that he has been raised from the dead. Now, Paul doesn't finish there. Because sometimes we do, don't we? We'll share the gospel with people and say, look, and explain it maybe by the grace of God as well as as Paul has done here. And then we leave it there. But Paul wisely does something else. He finishes with a final warning. Verses 40 to 41. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken in the prophets. Behold, you ye despisers, ye, ye despisers and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it to you. This is from Habakkuk, and he's warning them. He's saying, watch yourself. I've given you the gospel, but listen. What you've understood, what I've spoken to you now, it's been prophesied that some won't believe. Some won't believe in Christ. They won't trust in him as their Lord and their Saviour. They will reject the evidence and the truths of even the things that Paul has brought to them. He's saying, don't be in unbelief. Look, I've proclaimed this to you. I've shown you from the Old Testament that these prophecies were fulfilled and Christ is the fulfilment of these prophecies. And he's warning them, do not be the ones that reject. Do not fulfil um, the prophecies that people will reject Christ. Don't be one of them. Because Paul has sought to persuade and to convince. He is warned of the consequences, which is eternal punishment. And this is the same warning that we should be giving today. We give the gospel. We give the good news. But it is only good news if we warn them of what is to come if they reject this. Paul leaves them in no doubt. Christ is your saviour. He is the only way of salvation. Only in him will you be right with God. If you do not heed this warning, if you fulfil what was written here, if you are one of these, then you will only be met with the wrath of God and eternal destruction. Now this is a good reminder for for us as, as believers to bring the full message of the gospel, the law, the gospel. That is what will harden hearts and condemn people, or it will either soften their hearts through the grace and the work of Christ and bring them to salvation. But this is the message that we bring. And with all of this, it has to be done, as Paul did here, with a heart of love, because we understand what Christ has done for us and we want this message to be passed on to others. So to conclude... When we share the gospel, we focus on the perfect nature of Christ, on the deity of Christ. We focus on the suffering he went through. We focus on the point, his point of death where he went so willingly. We point them to where he was raised from the dead. And we show them that was all because he wants people to come to salvation. He wants people to understand that they need salvation. He wants people to know that the only way of salvation is not by Allah, is not by good works, but it is the life and the death of Jesus Christ. Because when we hear the gospel now, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ by the grace of God, 
when we read verses like Romans 5, we cannot help but to rejoice and have a heart to go and proclaim this message. Romans 5, 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Amen.